Welcome to the My Key Needs Podcast, a podcast dedicated to MSPs. I'm Priscilla Alora Sharoop, co-founder and COO here at My Key. On this podcast, you'll have the opportunity to hear from experts in the field and thought leaders in the channel. So make sure to hit that subscribe button. Let's fly in. Hi everyone, welcome to Mikey Meets. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of speaking to my old friend Paul Tomlinson, formerly of Myris IT, where we spoke about how we got started in the industry, how Myris grew, how we transitioned into managed services, and then what is up to now and next. Hope you enjoy. Hi there, I'd like to welcome uh, Paul to Mikey Meets. Hi Paul, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks Chris. Great, well it's been quite a long time since we last had time to catch up, so... Really looking forward to hearing more about your story and obviously how that overlapped with how I got into the MSP space was through meeting you. Uh, I was trying to work out how many years ago it was, but it was an Autotask lunch and learn where you were kind of introduced us to Autotask at Orchid IT. So I'm only quite a long time, but what I don't really know is how did you get started in IT in the first place? Can you just give us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I left school when I was 17. Um, and my sort of first role in IT was actually a summer job after I finished my GCSEs. Um, so we're going back to sort of bulletin board systems and things like that. I don't I don't know if you kind of have been in the game that long to remember those things. Um, but as a 16 year old lad, um, we would with other lads at school, we would download pictures of people like um, Eric Elianak and people like that and share those pictures around the school. Nothing nothing risque, just you know, normal pictures. And it just happened to be that I, uh, command line version of PKZip to zip up some files, gave them to one of my friends at school, he took them home, and uh, his dad worked in IT, and he asked who did this, and he said, oh, it's a friend from school. So he was impressed that I knew how to use the zip command, um, and then uh, basically offered me a summer job. So that was my, my first entry into IT as a summer job, uh, through um, soft pornography, but but not really like that. Um, from there, I, I think you know we there was there was a, about a year I worked for that company um, after I finished you know school. Um, I went off and did um, a bit of travelling, and then I came back to the UK um, and I I started working for uh, a PC build company, um, and from there kind of moved into providing IT support for people, and, and it just really continued from there. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, that's great. So what, what was the birth of Myris then? How did that come about? Uh, so that came about, um, I'd, I'd moved away to Ireland for four years. My uh, family are Irish. Um, I thought I'd spend a bit of time having some fun in Dublin. Um, I realised that after four years, my liver couldn't take it. Um, so the best thing to do would be to come back to the UK. Um, and Myris was basically... Um, my consulting business when I moved back to the UK. Um, so that was sort of 2002, um, I think. I think it's 2002 um, when I started that business. And initially, it was literally a, a limited company to allow me to build my time as a consultant. And I just found I was going in doing project delivery. Um, after doing the projects, people would then ask for ongoing support. Um, and it just kind of became more the than just me and continue to evolve from there and then obviously we moved into providing IT support for SMEs um, and it just continued to grow through throughout the years. Yeah and I think that's kind of interesting because that's where 
I guess the point that I met you was a little bit further down the line than that, right? Because you were you were billing with the in the MSP model as opposed to the time and materials model, which a lot of MSPs were dealing with before them. Um, so, and you were a very early adopter of this sort of MSP fixed fee model in the UK, probably one of the first. So, how did you sort of first find out about that model, or did you just naturally think that was the way to go in the first place? I think it just it just came about for us. So um, when we were selling, one of the the big problems we had as a new business um, was gaining confidence from customers. Um, so and I think a lot of the the resistance to change providers was around the kind of the uncertainty with regards to cost. Um, so you know we'd go in and we'd say you've got twenty PCs, we're going to charge you sixty pound an hour or whatever it may have been at that point. But but nobody had any certainty around how much time it would take us to resolve the issues and as a new business and a relatively young guy I think people maybe didn't think we were capable of doing it as quickly as other providers and that were established so we said if we take the element of risk out of it for the customer and say there's a fixed fee for everything that we do and then that way the customer just you know there's not really a, a reason not to change you know if we took what they were paying as an average payment to their existing provider and said to them, look, across 12 months, you've paid £2,000. We're just going to cap it at 1800 or something. Then we were able to win customers that way. Um, so that was, a, <coughs> excuse me, that was the approach we took. Um, we were quite generous in the early days in that we actually threw in project delivery as well. Um, now, that will shock a lot of people now because so many MSPs make so much from project delivery. Um, but at that time, it was it was more of a land grab approach. We were trying to win as many customers as possible and saying to people, okay, we'll, we'll give all of your IT support for a fixed fee on-site and remote and also include all your project delivery. There was no reason not to change, particularly if they're in the process of upgrading a server or something like that because we'd take away all the labor from that project. Um, so, so that was our kind of initial offering. And, and, you know, there wasn't, I don't see, I don't, don't think the, the MSP model as such, had been formalized or talked about widely. Um, so it was a big change to change a mindset for the customers to look at it. And, you know, there's nothing but a win for them. And then from our perspective, obviously, as it is now, it was up to us to do the right job to avoid having to see recurring problems. Um, so it was, um, it was definitely a different approach. Um, it predates most other MSPs in the UK. I think, you know, that's a, a good comment there, Chris. Um, but I think at that time we were so distanced from any MSP community or any IT community, we didn't really know that we were doing anything radically different. Um, we just thought this was a way for us to be able to win customers easily and kind of go from there. Yeah, it is fascinating. So I do remember, obviously, at one point, I guess back in the well, dim and distant past, sort of trying to compete with you on certain things. And the, what you described about the project work made it extremely difficult, right? Because um, such an advantage for you to deliver that as part of the service at no additional cost that it was almost impossible to take business from you guys. So that's, that was uh, frustrating, but good from your side. And the other thing is, is, it's really interesting that you mentioned there that the the risk approach, which is something that I always sort of the drum that we used to bang on about with with MSPs, that you're transferring the risk, right? The risk goes from the customer to the to the MSP. So you kind of have to do a good job and you have to try and kind of automate and make sure everything works. Otherwise you're going to be on site with them, you know, sending an engineer every other day, which is obviously then you're going to be losing an enormous amount of money. So it, it's the risk thing is something that's really interesting. So I guess 
following on from that, and to a certain extent around the risk and trying to around automate and sort of standardize the systems, what were some of the early tools that you used within your, within your MSP to help you manage this process? Um, so so with, um, with having so many customers, I mean, we had around 100 customers within the business at the time, um, we realized that email notifications from things like Semantic Backup Exec and ArcServe um, going into one mailbox, which was then updating manually updating a spreadsheet and a full-time job for someone was just not a scale mm-hmm. option. Um, so we found a product called Hound Dog at the time, um, and we used that as um, a monitoring tool uh, within the business. But I think once we got the tool, we realized that we, we suddenly uncovered this amazing thing with regards to automation and monitoring. And actually, we needed to take that next step further along. Um, so we then found Kaseya, um, and we put Kaseya in place to you know, look at backup notifications, low disk space alerts, that type of thing, and very much the monitoring tool rather than automation tool initially. Um, from Kaseya, we found Autotask and obviously looked at the PSA integration, and that replaced um, that replaced a, an old clunky access database. And again, it kind of made this massive step change within the business to to take us from you know what was a kind of bodged together, you know, business and we couldn't really track SLAs and we couldn't really understand what we were doing with regards to time to, uh, you know, what we saw as a much more mature business. Um, I hate to think, you know, if we were to start ever start an MSP again to try and do it without a PSA tool in place, without, a, 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 you know, an RMM tool in place. Um, but our, our journey kind of carried on from there, really. We, we swapped around for, through a few different um, RMM tools um, and then with regards to PSA, ultimately, we ended up on Connectwise as a platform. Um, but we bought lots of other products along the way to bolt on, things like BrightGage. Um, you know, that was a really valuable tool within the business. Um, we had some virtual CIO tools um, to help us develop a framework for, for that sort of delivery. Um, I think there's, there's just so much in the industry that actually when you look at the cost of labor and, and the lack of available resources in, in the, the channel as it stands at the moment. Automating as much as possible is absolutely the way to go. But yeah, I think Hound Dog was probably the first one we bought. Um, and then we, we moved from spending a few hundred pounds a month on tools to you know tens of thousands of pounds a month on tools. But, um, but they're all worthwhile, I, I think, is the, the fair way to look at it. Yeah, and it is it's staggering, like you say, when you think about all of the tools available now this, that have sprang up around this ecosystem, which I guess kind of hangs around PSA and RMM primarily. But, I mean, I've just learned something today, so I'm really glad we've had this call, maybe uh, just to find out that you used Dog. I never knew that. We were a Dog customer as well. In fact, on one of the podcasts coming up, we've got one of the um, founders of Dog on, so try and learn a little bit more about how Dog got into existence and what happened to it through its various acquisitions but yeah so we uh, we were a hound dog customer as well um i kind of i think as long as i've known you you were kind of kaseya from the outset so yeah that was really interesting actually i didn't know but uh yeah it was, it was a cool product and uh, i know it still lives on today so it's uh yeah it still works and it still does really well so yeah i imagine it's a very different product to what it was when we were using it yeah absolutely absolutely so I don't want you to admit to any kind of massive things here, but I mean, did are there any kind of mistakes that you made at Maris or things, maybe better way of asking that, or anything that you would have done differently if you're doing it now? Uh, I think, um, I mean, there were absolutely some horror mistakes, but probably for this call. Um, <laughs> but the, um, 
the ones that I reflect on and look at and think, you know, if we had have done that differently, we would have ended up with a better outcome. Um, they tend to be more around planning. Um, so the, I mean, I'm very much a kind of, I see something, I want to get it done kind of guy. Um, so, which, which I think is a great trait in certain parts of my life, but in other parts, it, you know, sometimes taking a step back and reflecting on things before making decisions is a better way to do it. And we never really had a business plan in the business for probably the first eight or nine years. Um, you know, and the growth of the business was really more about, you know, we're winning customers, we're delivering services, we're doing really well, let's just keep doing more of what we're doing. Um, but we didn't think about, you know, what could go wrong in the business. We didn't think about um, how do we scale the business. So when I started to look at the um, EOS framework and, you know, look at how that could be used within the business, that made a massive difference to, to kind of our plan going forward. And we had a lot more structure in what we were doing and how we were growing. So I think adopting that framework earlier on in the business would have made a huge difference. Um, I certainly made a few mistakes around things like premises cost, where we signed a lease on a premises that we were already in, but we outgrew it within six months. Um, so, you know, there are quite a few things like that that we definitely could have done better. Um, I think, you know, other mistakes we made were around um, a development of internal staff. Sometimes we felt that somebody who was really strong technically um, should then become a manager, but we didn't see management as a skill at that point. We saw their technical ability as a skill. So we probably just should have had stronger conversations to say, look, you're a great technical person, but we don't think you'll be a particularly good manager. Um, so we probably ended up you know, people being pushed out of the business by putting the wrong people into management positions, thinking we were doing the right thing for those people's career development. Um, but, you know, you, you, you learn from these things. Um, so I, I think there's, there's lots of things that we, we, we got wrong along the way, but thankfully we made a, a few more, uh, you know, the right decisions to kind of counteract those ones. Yeah, I was about to say, obviously, you obviously did quite a lot of things right because, and some people may not be aware on the uh, listening today, actually, that um, you exited Myris um, a couple of years ago now, is it? I probably lost track of time. I don't know. No, no, it's, yeah, so it's, it's uh, two years ago we sold the business um, and I left the business in uh, May of last year. Uh, okay, so, so peak pandemic. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting to obviously see what's happened with the business whilst I've been away from there um, and keep in touch with the guys and see what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, what are you up to now? I guess a lot of people like me used to see you at every event, event going, but there was not been any events for a while, but we used to see you at all the events in the community. So, I mean, what are you up to now if, you, if you're not getting day-to-day -day involved in MSP stuff? Uh, well, we made a, a, a massive shift once, we, once the exit happened. Um, it was kind of one of those points where it was reflect on what was going on, you know, outside of work because suddenly I didn't have work. Um, and my wife's background is in fitness. So um, we decided to actually, rather than, you know, look at something else as a, um, you know, in technology, we thought we'd do something in it, which was a shared passion of ours. Uh, so we opened a gym. Um, but we were meant to open a lifestyle business gym, you know, a small gym that was just going to be nice and easy to run, not particularly time consuming. Um, and we've ended up with a 20,000 square foot gym, you know, with around 1500 members. Uh, so it kind of didn't really play out in that quiet lifestyle retirement type approach. It's gone completely the opposite way. Um, and I think we'll probably have another facility within the next 12 months. So, um, so yeah, a, a, a massive shift. Um, 
along with that, it's um, you know, I'm, I've recently finished my non-compete, um, so I'm just helping a few smaller MSPs um, look at what they're doing to see if some of those lessons I learned along the way um, I can use to kind of help them with their growth. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just, uh, I mean, we're personally, we're trying to build a new house at the moment and I'm battling with the planning officer every second day about that. So, uh, so that's basically my life at the moment. Okay. Well, that I mean, that was a, a big shift, but I'm, I'm really pleased and I'm sure I speak for everyone in the community that uh, you may be getting starting to dip your toe a little bit more back into the MSP space, but just something curious around the the gym and the the new business you've got. Is there any other things that you learnt during your time running Myris that have helped with the MSP? Uh, sorry, we helped with the gym. Um, I think the biggest thing was around recurring revenue. Um, so one of the the huge, you know, really important KPIs we had within the business was tracking our overheads against our recurring income. Um, so within Myris, we would say, you know salaries, all of our burden costs, everything else like that. What do they come to each month? What do we get in terms of recurring income, profit on recurring income, I should say, you know, taking away costs for third-party service. Um, and then we'd look at that and say, you know, how much are we in a position where we actually make money when we open the door if we didn't sell anything? Um, and, and we never quite got there. We got very, very close. I, I think actually, I, I lie there. I think we, we rolled over the line a few times. But because we were continually focused on growing, we're always reinvesting in the business and kind of pushing ourselves away from achieving that, you know, 100% of overheads covered each month. Um, but within the gym, we've, we've used that same metric and actually, you know, growing the membership base and the recurring income and doing everything we need to do to protect that recurring income in terms of, you know, providing the right level of service, providing the right facilities. Um, we've adopted that same mindset Um and actually, within 12 months, even with the pandemic, we've managed to get ourselves to a point where 110% of overheads covered before we open the door. Um, so much more successful in the fitness space than in the IT space, even in you know, a relatively short period of time. Um, so that's one of the things. Um, but I, I think actually, you know, every business is the same in some ways. You know, it's lead generation, it's sales, it's nurturing clients, it's upsell. Um, all of the things that we would do within Myris to to make as much money and offer the right experience to our customers, we've kind of taken those and, and brought them into the gym. Um, you know, we've, we've focused very much on systemizing uh, everything in the gym. So, you know, things that we learned through doing ISO 9001 and 27001, we've tried to introduce elements of that into the gym so that it's a consistent experience for our members when they come through the door. Um, which is exactly the same sort of thing we would try and do on the help desk um, was provide that consistent level of service. So, so I think actually the shift of running a business as an MSP to running a business as a gym hasn't actually changed that much. Um, you know, obviously what we offer is a very different service. We haven't quite got to the stage of putting agents onto people and monitoring what's going in their mouths or anything just yet. So, I mean, that's <laughs> okay. the future. Um, so there might be a development opportunity for ConnectWise or Kaseya or something out there to actually track that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, we're still relying on people telling us what they're doing. Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, that's bad news, right? We need to find a way of automating that, but I'm sure that will come. Right, well, I mean, thanks so much, Paul, for uh, catching us up to where you are and talking a little bit about where you came from with Myris. Um, I think I've told you many, many times that you really helped me um, and my journey in the MSP space. So, you know, personally, I'd like to thank you for that. 
And um, I'm really pleased that you're back in the game and hopefully we'll be able to meet in person at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Cheers, Paul. Bye. So, there you have it. Really interesting stuff from Paul, actually. For example, I had no idea that he was a fellow Hound Dog user, so that's obviously a tool that shaped both of our paths in the community. Finally, I'd like to thank Paul once again for his time, and I hope you can all join us soon for the next episode of Mikey Meets. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Mikey Meets podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to tell your friends about us, and if you haven't already, please subscribe on your platform of choice. For questions, feedback, or just to say hello, you can reach us on podcast at mikey.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.